When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Master Your Mindset Podcast. I'm your mental skills coach, Colin Henderson. And today we sat down with the director of sports psychology at the University of Massachusetts, or UMass, uh, Dr. Nicole Gabbana. She researched her PhD in counseling psychology from Indiana University. She has her master's in athletic counseling from Springfield College. She was a college crew athlete. Um, prior to her role now at UMass, she was an assistant professor of sports psychology at Florida State University, home of the late great Dr. Anders Erickson, who coined research on the topic of deliberate practice. So we learned a lot of good stuff from her. I learned, you know, about the power of gratitude, how to manage self-doubt, how to deal with failure. We even touched on faith. So sit back, have an open mind, open your notes. Let's get better. Let's grow a mindset. Let's learn from Dr. Nicole Gabbana. So maybe maybe tell the audience how you got into this field. Yeah. Uh, so I've just always been interested in psychology since probably high school. Just been fascinated with understanding the mind and human behavior. And uh, I just really enjoy trying to understand people and why we do the things we do. And that probably started with being curious about myself and my family um, and, and just you know, I've always been kind of introspective and, and reflective like that. So sometimes I have the problem where I can't turn my brain off. Um, so I just, I tend to like be curious about things and, um, and I have always loved sports. I've been, uh, an athlete since I could walk probably, um, started with gymnastics and then played a number of sports, was a rower in college and, didn't really know anything about the world of sports psychology until after college, actually, um, and was just trying to find my niche and just really enjoyed working with high performers, whether that's athletes or, you know, people that are, are um, striving for excellence in their jobs and business, in their families and relationships. And I think, you know, really in every aspect of life, we're kind of performing in a way. So it just felt like the right fit for me and being able to do, you know, the mental health work and the counseling and um, the, the more holistic stuff, but also being able to work with high performers so that they can really get the most out of themselves and out of their, uh, the people that they work with. Now, was there a moment that kind of shaped you? Was there a teacher, a coach, a mentor? Was there a failure that you're like, man, I'm so in my head right now. I, I need, I need help. Or was there a, a coach, a mentor, a leader, or, or a teacher that like showed you this is, you know, you don't have to be this loud mind. There's another uh, way. Mm. I'm thinking about, is there a moment or is there a person? Yeah, I would say I was very fortunate to see a psychologist when I was in high school. Um, and that was, I would say that was the, the starting point for me of just learning about myself, learning about psychology and um, just understanding 
the connection between our thoughts and, and how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about our experiences, and, and also how that influences, you know, our behaviors, the decisions we make. So um, having that personal experience myself probably started my interest in wanting to, to do that with other people. And, and I just love like the power of having meaningful conversations um, and just the insight that can be gained through talking through something with uh, another person. Um, and I think we get a lot of that from, you know, our relationships and the people that are close to us, but it can be really beneficial to have like an expert or a neutral party who isn't directly involved with our life. Um, so I would say that was a really influential person. And then there's been countless mentors and um, I've been blessed with wonderful people in my life who have just kind of inspired me and, and who also, um, you know, do great work. And um, so, yeah. So what, was there a question when you were working with that person in high school or a question that made you reflect? Or was there a tool that they shared that said, wow, that's a question I never thought about. That is a good resource I, I can use. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's been a while. So I, I don't know that I remember like the specifics of it, but I, I think just that process of, uh, of understanding myself better and uh, my, my thoughts about myself, my beliefs, and this is something that, you know, continues to be relevant. So I don't think we ever really stop doing that work personally. Um, so I, I can't remember anything specifically, but just bringing a greater awareness to like the thoughts that I was having, you know, on a daily basis and um, how I was understanding like, my experiences, my family, um, myself, and just building that self-concept, you know, adolescence mm -hmm. is such a, uh, an impactful time of a person's life and their development and their self-concept. So, um, I'm very grateful that I, I had the opportunity to, you know, talk through some stuff during that time. That's it. Now to me, I, I think self-doubt is, it was a problem that I deal with today. I've dealt with my whole life. Just like, you know, I have talented, I have gifts, I'm successful, but there's this, this inner judge, inner critic that we all have to deal with. And when I do some of my trainings, I tell people, you know, four out of five of your thoughts are going to be negative, but the first thought is not as important as that second or third thought, but having mm -hmm. that awareness on, is that thought even true to reframe? So can we talk about how do we deal with self-doubt? Yeah, that's, that's a big question. And I would say this is something that I wrestle with, too, at times. And um, I have a lot of clients who, you know, when we start working on this, like, whether it's confidence or self talk, self doubt, um, you know, the more aware we start to become of our own thoughts, the more we see how negative they can be, or how detrimental, how, uh, you know, just mean, sometimes the thoughts we have about ourselves and what starts to happen. And, and I do this myself, but I see this happen with clients oftentimes is like, we almost start to like judge ourselves for the things that we're telling ourselves. Like, I can't believe I'm saying this, or it's like, we're piling judgment on top of judgment. So I, I think just baseline, starting with the understanding that we're going to have negative thoughts. Like we're going to have some thoughts about ourselves. We're going to question um, you know, our self-worth or doubt our capabilities. And I think some of that is healthy. You know, if we were walk, walking around just thinking that like 
everything we did was was great all the time, you know, we wouldn't have a sense of humility, we wouldn't have perspective, uh, we, we wouldn't be able to listen to others. So I try to avoid when possible just labeling things as like good or bad. So some of that self-doubt is a good thing. And there's actually been research on that in terms of like the confidence literature and sports psychology that when you have a little bit of self-doubt, it pushes you to work hard. Like you care about things, you wanna do well. It's just a matter of finding when that crosses into the realm of holding you back from you know, taking risks, from pursuing challenges where there's the potential of falling flat on your face, maybe the first time. Um, when, you, when you find that that self-doubt is getting in the way of your goals or getting in the way of things that you believe in or that you want to pursue passions that you have and it's debilitating from taking that leap forward, I think that's when we have to be careful to keep that self-doubt in check. So would you, what tools would, would you use then? I mean, aside from being able to reframe, and I know we got to use the nerves as energy, as you would interpret, is this a threat or a challenge? But Mm -hmm. I think breath is powerful. I mean, any other tools? Yeah, I would say being intentional about the way you speak to yourself, whether that's, you know, writing down uh, your strengths, exploring your strengths, writing down some affirmations. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but there's thousands of thoughts going through our mind on a daily basis. And if we don't pause to, Uh, to talk to ourselves rather than listen to ourselves all the time. Um, That was a distinction I heard, I think, a few months back. And I I just loved that, um, that talking to yourself is very intentional and and being purposeful about the words that you say to yourself and how you encourage yourself the way that you might talk to a loved one or a friend when you're encouraging them. Um, it's really easy to get down on ourselves and, and say mean things. And I think a lot of us do that because we're trying to motivate ourselves. We don't want to let ourselves off the hook, you know, especially for high performers, high achievers. We don't want to ease up and, and slack off. Um, but when we notice that happening, you know, when it starts to affect our mood or it starts to affect the belief that we have about ourselves, then that's when we need to either do some journaling, do some writing, um, build mechanisms in our day-to-day, you know, whether it's like writing three things that, that you did well or, or one way that you've grown this past week. Um, and another way is just like when, you, when you're setting goals for the week or setting an intention, crossing things off your to-do list, like that's a good way to build confidence. Um, but if we don't track it, then sometimes we don't see that progress. So the more that we can track it, the more we can say, how have I grown um, over this period of time? Uh, we have to remind ourselves that we're constantly growing rather than just feeling like, okay, here we go again. I'm stuck in the same mm-hmm. place. Yeah, and I think uh, part of what I help people do is, have you ever thought about your thoughts? And you talked about awareness early on. Mm-hmm. And just from an, an unbiased lens, just taking a step back and observing and just even maybe writing down, are there some like common negative thoughts? Are there some thoughts that, you know, how from your from your past, from, you know, from shame, from trauma in your past, are you reliving and having these things just live in your mind? So I like to say, write it, read it, speak it. If you can write it, read it, and then ask for help, tell someone, and then have them tell back to you. Actually, I see something totally different. You know, that's not mm-hmm. what I've seen. But, um, you know, um, I'm thinking about your research and your work, and you said, I think you posted something about um, 
your like friends like would you still be best friends with somebody if they spoke to you the same way that the mm. language you used to yourself um i, I thought that that was great so when you're, when you're creating content how do you create content because we have young kids in college and high school that you're working with some college a students you know how do we reach them mm-hmm. conversations i i think that's what initially got me into this field um i wanted to be a psychologist because i love having those those conversations one-on-one and really getting to know someone. And until you really know someone's perspective, the way that they see the world, the way that they talk to themselves, the thoughts that they're having, what they're feeling, like you really can't just come in and, and tell someone what to do. Like you really have to understand what is this person's frame of mind? What are their, what experiences have they had in the past that have shaped their perspective? And I think that's that's the piece of just starting with an understanding, like truly listening to people and trying to understand why do they hold these views? Why do they do the things that they do? Because um, most of the time we develop those behaviors, we develop those belief systems based on our experiences. And um, when you can understand that, then that's, that's where we can get an end to um, maybe helping them see something in a different way. Uh, but until people feel listened to and, and heard and validated, I think it's it's hard to impart that content. That's great. Are there certain questions you like to ask people when you're doing this work? Yeah, there's a lot of questions. <laughs> um, so is it based off of feel, off of the person, what they're going through? Or do you have like um, just knowing you know, if someone comes in and sits down to work with you for various reasons? You know, I, th- I think about sometimes, you know, mentoring and leadership is, is really asking the right questions. It's not giving them the answer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I would say when I first start working with someone, I have, you know, a, a general series of questions just to get to know their background, their sport ex- experience, their history, you know, family background, whether they've had experiences working with someone in the past. Um, I really try to get like a full picture of, of a number of areas in their life because it's kind of interesting. Like if you're, if you're working on mental performance and you sit down with someone and you only get to know them in the realm of their sport, you might be missing key details, you know, whether that's beliefs that they've developed through early experiences, whether it's relationships that they have, whether it's uh, other values or goals that they have outside of sport that are really important to them. Um, It's so helpful to get that information because it can lend insight into, you know, strengths that they have, where they find meaning and purpose. And a lot of that can be uh, fuel for the fuel for the fire in terms of like enhancing mental performance. Um, so really just getting to know the athlete as a person and, and not just as an athlete or as a performer, um, that's always like a key element when I first start working with someone. But I would say in general, just questions that help the person reflect on, you know, their own thoughts or feelings. Um, I always tell people like, you're the expert on yourselves or yourself. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be bringing in some knowledge of sports psychology and and mental training. uh, But you know, you better than I know you. And so um, that process of self reflection and building that awareness and for them to externalize that I think that the process of 
um, asking those open-ended questions can be very useful just for the person to speak it out loud and kind of talk through things out loud. And, and when you say it's hard for, for athletes and performers to be, to be nice to themselves, you know, uh, you know, gratitude, and that's part of the, your research that's really powerful. I love to hear how powerful using those, the mental skill to train optimism and gratitude, how it changes the cells in your body. It changes your health. It's just so powerful with gratitude, but why is it so hard? Is it, have you noticed that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's often a characteristic of the top performers. And like I mentioned before, I don't think that I don't necessarily see traits as like either good or bad. I think as high performers, you naturally put pressure on yourself. You have high standards, you have high goals, high expectations. Um, most of the athletes that I work with, they're their biggest critic. Um, and I, I could say that probably for myself, and I'm sure like you might be able to relate to that too, as like a high performing professional is that you're always trying to get better. You're trying to improve, you're trying to learn. And when you have that, that mentality where you're striving for things, you're, you're looking for, um, to achieve greater, to do better, um, whether it's as like a professional or as an athlete or as a person, just even in your own personal life or relationships with that comes this habit of being hard on yourself of saying, how can I get better? How can I improve? And you're constantly assessing your weaknesses or your growth areas. And I don't think that that's inherently a bad thing, but when that's all that we're doing, then it becomes problematic because we start seeing ourselves as what we're lacking rather than what we already have and, and all of the ways that we have grown through our life experiences. So I think it's about building in a balance and um, finding opportunities to pause and say, what are my strengths? How can I use the strengths that I have, the talents, the gifts that I've been given to address the things that I want to grow more in? Um, so if I'm a really hardworking individual, but I'm not the best communicator, can I use my work ethic to do some reading or some research on communication skills or how I can be a better communicator with my teammates or in my relationship or whatever it might be? So it's using the skills and strengths that you already have, but you can't intentionally do that if you don't give yourself some credit for those things that you do have and how you've gotten to this point thus far. Yeah, and, and on that topic of, of gratitude, I think of, you know, the, before reading the research and doing the work I did on myself, I'm still working on every single day, is I would just focus on what I didn't have. I'd replay past mistakes and worry about failing in the future mm -hmm. and just, so training the mental skill of gratitude, it really takes work, just like learning a new rep in your sport. Like having some habits and routines, some rituals of, of journaling, of um, prayer. We can talk about faith in a little bit. Um, to mm -hmm. focus on who you are and not not who you aren't. To focus on what you have and not, not what you have, not what you don't have. And like, is performing a have to or I get to be here? So it's kind of like just reshifting your lens, but having some some tools in place with gratitude. I know that some of your research you did was on gratitude. Can you share what what you have found? Sure. So I love doing applied research and, and figuring out, you know, what helps individuals and performers um, thrive. And a lot of my work is in the realm of positive psychology. And what that means is that we're just paying attention to the details, the characteristics that help people to perform at their best, to flourish as human beings. Whereas, um, you know, traditional psychology has been focused on what's wrong 
with people or what's the disorder and how can we how can we improve that how can we get better which is important but there's a lot that we're missing if we don't look at you know how people thrive in their environments and so performance is one of those environments so I uh, started looking at how gratitude and, and practicing gratitude, how cultivating a grateful mindset can help athletes face adversity, how it can uh, enhance their mental health and their resilience in tough times, how it can help people better connect with their teammates, with their coaches. It can keep things in perspective and kind of balance out the good and the bad uh, because there's a lot of disappointments, there's a lot of uh, tough times when you're a high performer and when you're an athlete and sport is always is not always a nice place to be. Um, so you have to get used to dealing with setbacks, dealing with so-called failures. Um, and I think practicing gratitude is a way to pay attention to the good. It's a way to keep your perspective when there's, you know, difficult circumstances or when you do have improvements to make, but it's a way to kind of check yourself and appreciate the good around you. And that helps us to move forward. You know, sometimes when we're only paying attention to the bad or we're only focusing on our faults or our flaws or the things that we need to do better, it keeps us stuck in that emotional state of just feeling bad about ourselves or not feeling good enough or not feeling worthy enough. And when we start to get bogged down by that self-doubt or self-hate, then it keeps us from performing at our at our top potential. That's it. Well, when I talk about gratitude, if I'm working with like a, a young performer, college or high school performer, I ask them, what, what does that word mean to you, gratitude? Like, what is, what is the actual, what does that word mean? And we have to ask Siri half the time what the word, <laughs> what the word gratitude means. Just the act of thankfulness, you know, to focus on the good, um, to look at a setback as, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna be mining for something good that can come, can come out of this. And it's not always just being fake positive, which is that there's some research on that's not always good either. Mm -hmm. um, but having a ritual routine, whether it's journaling or going on a, a walk of gratitude for our family, we have five kids, eight nunners. So we play we play a game called happy dinner where everyone says one thing that they felt like joy inside of themselves or happiness during the day. I love that. And Love we, and then when we're done, everyone counts to three, one, two, three, do we say happy? We pound the table. So, <laughs> um, I think listeners, I think have a routine of, of gratitude. That's all we're, that's all I'm trying to advocate for, whether it's journaling, whether it's prayer, whether it's when you brush your teeth, you know, go on a walk or in the shower, or when you eat a meal, just take a moment to reflect and to give thanks. Are there any rituals or routines that you can say we can, we can add to make that? Okay. Let's, I know we're athletes, so we want to be coached up. So a coach this up on, is there some routines based off of your research when you, when you train the, the athletes that, that you uh, train? Yeah. So I just, I want to mention a point about the way I explain gratitude. Cause you, you mentioned like, how do we define that? Right. And mm -hmm. so um, one thing that I like to distinguish when I'm talking about building a gratitude habit or a routine is the fact that the gratitude can be uh, a thought it can be an emotion and it can be a behavior. So oftentimes when we think about the word gratitude, we, we um, assume that it's like this warm and fuzzy feeling that like you feel grateful, right? It's associated with an emotional state, which can be true. But the thing about why routines are so effective is, is because they're consistent. Regardless of feeling, you go through your routine 
because it creates consistency. So for example, like if you're going into the weight room to lift, like you might not feel motivated to, to get up at 5 a.m. and go lift, but you build it into your routine so that you abide by this habit and you know it's going to make you stronger. You don't need the emotion of like feeling like you want to do it or feeling motivated when you've established that routine. And the same goes with gratitude. So you can practice gratitude, like writing three things down that you were grateful for that day or expressing gratitude to someone in your life once a week, whether it's through an email or a phone call or text message. You can do these things through acts of gratitude and cognitive habits, even when you're not feeling the emotion of gratitude, because we can't expect ourselves to always feel grateful. We're going to feel frustrated. We're going to feel um, down. We're going to feel angry. We're going to feel all kinds of emotions. And if you're saying that I can only practice gratitude when I'm feeling grateful, then that's not really building a habit. That's just doing it when you're moved by the emotion. Same as like motivation. You have to learn to establish habits that are going to create that consistency for you, uh, even when you're not feeling it. And I, I find that's where the practice itself can be really effective. So like you said, whether it's taking a walk and getting in a habit of reflecting on the good things that happened, whether it's praying about, you know, the things that you can give thanks for, whether it's talking like with your partner about something they did that day that you felt grateful for, even if it's like the tiniest thing that you think this is silly, just the more you practice that, the more you start to become aware of those opportunities to find the good in your, your day to day. Yeah. And just having some, some routines, rituals, like some, some triggers for gratitude, like have put a rock in your pocket or put something. Mm -hmm. If you're in baseball in the back pocket that when you feel it, you feel gratitude. Or I just, I usually tell performers before you get up on, on stage or on the field or court, just take 30 seconds to take it in. Mm -hmm. Just have some routine, take a slow, deep breath, do a quick body scan and just give thanks and say, I'm, mm -hmm. I am not defined by this moment. I get to be here. It's not a have to, but a get to. Um, can we talk about cell phones real quick? Sure. I mean, adults and kids, this, this, the brain's not designed to take in thousands of inputs on comparing <laughs> people's, you know, their, their, their yachts, their whips, their, 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 their new kicks, you know, yep. and just seeing everyone's highlights where you're like, well, I, my, my, my life isn't like that. And on the topic of gratitude, I think this kind of flows nicely. So how can we put some pillars or some safeguards around ourselves and our psyche and our mindset, our wellness mentally? When mm -hmm. there's Twitter, a TikTok, Instagram, uh, Netflix, YouTube. So yeah. I think as, as mindset specialists, I think in the times we're in, we have to ad address this problem. Mm -hmm. would, you, would, would you agree? 100% agree. And I, I think, you know, there's so much opportunity nowadays to consume information and you know, it used to be through like television and magazines, and now we're just opened up to this world of social media, uh, which is a breeding ground for comparison, for social comparison. And it's not to say that there aren't benefits of social media. It can be a great tool when used well, uh, but I think we do have to build in some checks and balances for ourselves because it's very easy to fall in that trap of comparison. And uh, the research has shown that gratitude practice can intervene on that in, in two different ways. So um, for example, when we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people and what they have, 
it puts the focus on what we lack. So taking the time to practice gratitude and identify the things that you feel grateful for serves as kind of a buffer for that social comparison so that you're reminding yourself of the things that you do have and why they're meaningful to you, why they're valuable to you. And I think it's also good practice to remind ourselves that, you know, what other people post on social media, it's a highlight reel, right? So there's, I guarantee that that those perfect profiles, those perfect photos that you see on someone's Instagram account, like they experience times when they feel down or depressed or lonely, or like they need more, they want more, they look at someone else's account and think like, I'm not this or I'm not that. So just reminding ourselves that like, this is a human experience that I, I think we all feel at times when we, when we do that social comparison. Um, and then also when we get good things in our life, there's, there's this phenomenon that happens that when we get something new, like you brought up the cell phone, right? So you get a new cell phone that first week, like you're taking perfect care of it, right? You don't want to drop it. You've got the nice screen cover, like you're keeping it clean. After a while, you're like throwing that thing around. You're dropping it four times a week. Like the, the novelty of it tends to wear off. And if we don't practice gratitude for the, the ordinary things or the things that we have that we've had for a while, then it's easy to, to lose the appreciation we have for them over time. So practicing gratitude and seeing the, the new good things in something that we've had for a while or something that's old, whether it's like a possession that we have, whether it's a relationship we have, when we can find the novelty in the goodness, that can also be a way to, to buffer that uh, depreciation that we sometimes see happen. And I think it goes back to awareness. One of the first things you said about when you train your mind and mental training is awareness. Like, are you aware of how much time you're spending on that thing? Mm-hmm. And it's like, what's mm-hmm. the return on investment? If you're trying to be the best version of yourself and, you know, you're here for a reason to compete, to get your education and to, to perform and, you know, to just uncover your best, to unlock your best, is that giving you the, the return that you think you want? And we become addicted to chase these hits of dopamine of seeking likes, yep. follows, what are people doing? So I would just say, listeners, put a parameter on and have some routines on when you when you look at it. First thing in the morning is not going to be the, the best option for you, you know. Um, and I, I think I think of mindfulness. I think of training your, your mind to be present. If every downtime you reach for your phone to look at something to pass one minute, five minutes, that turns into ten minutes, turns into a half hour. So I would say, listeners, I've been, I'm a business owner, so I post stuff to help you know help people, you know. But I have to catch myself, you know, to not not use that as just like a resource that you're always going to. So have some um, other habits or routines you can, you can go to instead of, you know, grabbing your phone. Maybe it's a breath, maybe it's a a deep breath, do a body scan, maybe it's gratitude, but um, listeners, I know the struggle is real. The struggle is real, um, but maybe gratitude can be something you can use instead. Um, Let's let's talk about faith. Yeah. Let's talk about faith a little bit. We kind of did a, hey, listen, we did a little prayer before. I'm a person of faith too. Um, how is faith, how do you use faith for, for yourself? And then when you uh, teach or coach? Yeah, so I'm so happy you brought this up because this isn't always necessarily a, an aspect of myself or my personal life that I get to talk about in the professional setting. Um, and, you know, I do when it's appropriate. And, um, you know, I also have respect that everyone 
has a different relationship with faith or spirituality. And there's, there's a lot of different beliefs and practices out there. Um, but for me personally, I, I am so grateful for my faith. And I think it's a beautiful thing because it's taught me that even when you don't see all the answers, even when you don't know everything, even, even when you don't feel, um, that things are going to work out or you don't feel your best, there's, there's a greater sense of hope and belief in something bigger than you that you are taken care of. And, um, you know, as a, as a Christian, there are many examples in the Bible of just, you know, look at how God takes care of the birds and, you know, these, these creatures on earth. And you think that, that your father is not going to do the same for you when he loves you so much and he cares for you. So I, I think just that knowledge of being loved is, um, is at the core of my faith. And it's, it's not always easy to feel sometimes it's not always easy to believe sometimes, but, um, you know, it just provides that rock and that foundation for everything that I do, whether it's in my professional life, whether it's in my personal life. And it just gives me a sense of peace and trust um, that, you know, everything is for a greater purpose and a greater glory of God. Um, and I, I believe that we're put on this earth to help others, to, to be here um, to alleviate pain and suffering of others around us and um, that we also need help in that journey, um, you know, through our own pain and suffering and that God is there to help us, uh, that we are there to help each other. Um, and there's a lot of different ways, as I mentioned before, that we do that. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that answered your question. That's I good. Well, I think we're just, we're there. just having a conversation. Sometimes these conversations, you know, faith to me, you know, every, everyone has a different version of faith, you know, and I, and I think I respect everyone's right to, to express that, that faith. And for me, faith, I think of, like you mentioned words like uh, trust. When I think of faith, I think of love. When I think of faith, I think of like worth. And one of my struggles is I was defined by the, the, the result. Mm -hmm. And my identity was wrapped around, you know, how good am I at sales or in, in baseball, football, the, the outcome, the performance, I would get my self-worth around how well I did from doing and not being, you know, I think. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have a faith, that's phenomenal. But just remember, I mean, your sport or your job does not define you. Whatever faith, you're mm -hmm. a part of something larger than yourself. So I think sometimes taking a step back and a reframe is like, this does not define me. How many points I score or how many likes I get or, you know, as someone likes what I said or likes what I did, that doesn't define me. If I can connect to a, a larger, you know, being or a larger group. And I, you said a word that's so powerful, that's service. When I think of faith, I think of love and service. Mm -hmm. do, do you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and it's, it's almost something that we have to intentionally define for ourselves as well. Because I, I think we operate in a culture that it is saying that what you do is who you are. And you are defined by your accomplishments and your achievements. And uh, that's, that's a trap that I've fallen into many times, you know, as an athlete, as a professional, it's like you, you want to feel productive. You want to feel like you're achieving something. And, you know, when, when we're able to step back and say, what am I beyond that? You know, if I'm not achieving something, if I'm not accomplishing something, if I'm not getting a degree or winning a championship, 
what is important to me? What do I see as my purpose here on earth in relation to other people and in, in relation to service and love? How can I use the gifts or the talents and the abilities that I've been given to have a meaning and a purpose here that goes beyond just what I do or the, the performance achievements that I have? And I, I think that's what you're kind of getting at is like, you're not defining your worth based on those accomplishments, but based on how you, you live your life, the values you hold, how you're able to be of service to others and to have some fun along the way and like do those things that you love and pursue your passions. You know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I, I love that you smiled and you said, have fun too. I mean, life is short. Come on, let's go. Let's have some fun. Let's make an <laughs> impact. Let's explore. Let's, let's be, let's be curious and like uncovering what gives me energy but what strengths mm -hmm. do I have that give me energy, but th that can also ser serve other people? That's why I think, I think mm -hmm. have it exactly. flow, flow from the impact, being present, being where your feet are, connecting. I think human connection is we've so shown from the Harvard research that the happiness is found right there. It's, it's that, 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 that human connection. It's not mm -hmm. from doing, it's from, you know, being a part of a tribe, serving, you know, loving, growing, seeing what you have. Um, the last topic I want to talk about is failure. And mm -hmm. we share a quote that I know I heard you on a podcast said that you like, I love it too. So I'm going to, I'm going to say this quote listeners, you know, who said this quote, I never lose. I either win or I learn. You want to give love us, that. you want to give us a background on who said it and why you, uh, why that quote is like, and this is an awesome quote. Yeah. I believe it was Nelson Mandela. Um, Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Uh, I just love it because it, it puts things into perspective. And, you know, you asked before that what one thing you asked your athletes is how do you define gratitude? And whenever the word failure or fail gets brought up in my conversations with my athletes, with my clients, I ask them, what do you mean by failure? Like, how do you define failure? How do you define success? Because we, we often throw around those words like, you know, we, we kind of know what it means. Uh, failure is, has a negative connotation. It's like a bad thing, right? Like that's the thing we think of is fail bad. Um, and when we actually take time to define, like, what would it mean for you to fail? Like, how would you feel um, if, if you felt like a failure, what would that mean for you? And I love that quote because it, it basically says, this word is meaningless, that whatever experience you have, it's an opportunity to either celebrate or to learn something, to grow. And when we see each opportunity as, um, as a way to grow or learn something, it's, it's the definition of a growth mindset, right? With Carol Dweck's research. I can see, I can see her, is that her book on the upper left or is that the inner game of, of baseball? Uh, the inner game of tennis is up there. I would say, yeah, mindsets right here. It, yeah. That's right. I guess it's like the fourth one from the left. That's right. Yep. Yep. It's a good one. Um, yeah, yeah I, so, I, I, I totally threw you off track. Yeah. yeah for, okay. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about yeah, failure and learning and it's to me that, cause I, I speak this stuff every single day and I talk about it, but it's, it's a lot easier to say than to actually practice. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, for sure. Um, it's yeah. so easy to get up on stage and say, hey, is failure a devastation or an education? I never, you know, lose, I win or I learn. Or, you know, it's important to, you know, to grow from failure and to, and to 
fail forward, but like, mm-hmm. how do I mean, can you teach us how do we actually, is there some practices that we can, we can do from that? I know is it t- reflecting, do we journal or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because it, it hurts. Like it hurts to lose. It hurts when we mess up and we do make mistakes. Like I'm not trying to say that, um, you know, like there's no such thing as, as feeling failure. Like we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to underperform, you know, based on our our potential or our abilities. That's just like naturally going to happen, whether it's in work or sport. And to pretend that that doesn't feel bad, I think is like missing a key component of the process of moving forward from failure. So like first we need to acknowledge that it's okay to feel disappointment. It's okay to feel sad or to feel frustration or to feel anger. And if we just try to deny those emotions every time they happen, then we don't actually address them and process them. And then they're going to start to pile up and they're going to come out in in other weird ways, inevitably. Um, So I think the first step is acknowledging, like, if you are disappointed, like, why? You know, is it because you really cared about this thing and it meant something to you, which is a good thing? Um, And once you're able to experience some of those emotions, then I think you can get to a place where you feel ready of like, okay, so if I want to do better in the future, what did I learn from this experience? I really like going through like a good, better how, and this is something I I learned in early on in my master's program is like in this event, in this situation, what did I do well? What went well? Even if it's like one minor thing that you can identify still finding this goes back to gratitude and finding the good in every situation there has to be at least something minor that you can identify that you did well uh even if it's just like i stuck to my pregame routine you know you could have had the worst game in the world the worst outcome result but like i did my pregame routine and that shows mental consistency um then saying what can i do better like where did I fall short in this experience? You know, was it lack of preparation? Was it getting distracted by my thoughts of self-doubt? Was it um, not communicating well with my teammates? Evaluating yourself honestly and saying like, where can I improve? And then moving forward with the how. So in order to improve in this area, I can't just say that I need to do better. I need to come up with a plan and say, how am I going to get better? Am I going to put more reps in? Is there an expert or a coach that I can consult with? Um, can I learn a new skill? Can I read something? Can I come up with like a new part of my, my routine that addresses my nerves or something? So coming up with a game plan, not just saying like, where do I need to improve, but how, how am I going to put this into action? So I really like those three components when moving on from a setback. Cause I think it acknowledges like the full breadth of that experience. Yeah. And I have a, just a thought on that. Like think about college athletes, you know, the average, most sport, the average play is like six seconds or four seconds or eight seconds, nine seconds. And there's time in between each rep. There's usually 20 to 40 seconds, or I guess if you're running you know, a long, long distance, I guess, or if you're a swimmer, I mean, but there, but we, we train for like just a few seconds, but there's time in between events. There's time in between action. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing to train those times? Because we sometimes think ourselves out of doing well. Mm-hmm. So with this system you're talking about, you know, to reflect and to, we, we're just asking listeners, 
coaches, parents, just carve out like five, 10 minutes a day to reflect gratitude after your performance or practice. What did I do good, better, you know, how? Just take time to reflect and just have that elite awareness of yourself. Um, and I'll just, I got one more question before I'll add one, one, more, one more tidbit. I'm trying to, to tell myself and the performers I work with that, you know, failure is an invitation mm. to, to innovate, to get curious, to uncover. Mm-hmm. so and it, it all comes back to worth again like who says because you failed you're not good like you need failure like you mm-hmm. you need adversity adversity is your mm-hmm. golden ticket to take it to a place you could never gone if you choose to use it the right way so yeah. just reframing and like the top performers fail but they just have a, a better way or a different set of skills mentally emotionally to recover fast to recover quickly mm-hmm. and not let that one play define them so i'm just advocating listeners i fail all the time you're gonna fail but that's awesome. That's where growth happens. Fix versus growth. Let's go. Let's measure growth. And was I present? Was I authentic? Did I show courage in that moment? So I'm just mm-hmm. advocating. You are amazing. You're going to fail. But that's the best part. That's why it's fun. Um, mm-hmm. So the last question I have, again, thank you so much for your time, is if you were to go back to your younger self, you know, teaching, coaching, mentoring, PhD, you know, all this awesome stuff you've done. Um, I've heard your name on another podcast had that people mention you as a thought leader, which is so, hey, congratulations on your life's work. I know you're just getting, I know you're just getting started. Um, you. But if you can teach yourself when you're younger, like, you know, here's three things you need. Here's one or two things that you need to, to learn or use. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question. Um, and I have to chuckle because the first thing that comes to mind is like, chill out. <laughs> Like, just chill out. Everything's going to be fine. Um, And this goes back to, like, when I mentioned, like, just have fun sometimes. I I think, um, you know, we can get so stuck in this zone of high performance and, like, go, go, go and achieve, achieve, achieve. And uh, this is something I talk about with my athletes often is that, like, rest and play is productive. And it took me a long time to realize that. But, you know, I'll give you an example, like, just over the the holidays and over this winter break, um, just giving myself permission to to rest, to play, to spend quality time with people I love and not to feel not good enough because I didn't do something for work or I didn't, you know, reach some other professional accomplishment. And it goes back to like, where do you find value? How do you define your self-worth? And that can be multifaceted. Um, so I think that's something I would tell my younger self is like, chill out. It's okay to relax. It's okay to have a good time. And like, you don't need to be constantly performing or constantly achieving to be a quality professional. Like you, I also want to be other things. I want to be a a quality, uh, you know, person to a daughter, a quality friend, a quality partner, like all these things are important to me. And, um, something that I heard recently that I love, and I've I've heard this in multiple uh, podcasts or books, and it's to remember that when you're saying no to something, you're also saying yes to something. So when we say no to like a work event or, you know, another project or something, and we start to feel like, oh, I'm not doing enough, or like, I should have committed to this, or I should be giving more, you're really making a decision where you're saying yes to something else that's also important to you. And when we can redefine it in that way, uh, that's another thing that's helped me a lot um, over the past few years is like, 
what do I want to say yes to? And what does that require me to say no to sometimes? That's so good. And I think about, you know, being in a flow state, that you're fully in the zone, no judgment, no past, present, no sense of time. But you can't get in the flow if you're always on. You need to to move away from that environment. Mm-hmm. I think about, you know, when you haven't had your, your favorite meal in a long time or you haven't seen a loved one for a long time, you just cherish and you savor that experience. Mm-hmm. So you need to step away to, yeah. to savor that moment and to let your brain reconfigure and rewire these pathways to get back to, oh, I could do this again. Oh, I love it. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm just like you. Mm-hmm. I was so hard on myself. I um, was so hard on myself. So this is good to hear that, you know, someone else has to remind themselves, chill out, bro. Let's smile, <laughs> have some yeah. fun, laugh, be a good teammate, laugh at yourself and learn and grow. Well, is there any way we, we, can, we can find you, you know, best way? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at dr. Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, Gabana, G-A-B-A-N-A. So always happy to connect with people. It's been great connecting with you, Colin, and thank you for for having me. Yes, Nicole, it's been so fun. I I wrote down a lot of notes, and I know people who follow the podcast are going to get some great stuff, regardless if you're a parent, coach, um, athlete, and business, you're going to get some good stuff there. Um, So we end every episode with this concept. The body has limits, but the mind is limitless. Do you have a one last favorite tagline you want to share with us? Quote, thought. Yeah, something you were talking about earlier made me think about just this mindset that I've I've tried to cultivate um, when you were talking about failure and you were saying like, you know, it's it's an opportunity for growth and I and how you need adversity to to do better. And I think something that I try to live by is just looking at every situation as an opportunity. And how can I make the most of this, this opportunity that I have right now? And those circumstances don't always look good or feel good, but if you can find the good, that's, that's essentially the definition of optimism is that I can take what I have now and make it into something better. And I love at the beginning of our conversation, you brought up like the pandemic, right? And how it's challenged you in so many ways and how it it brings up fears and concerns. And, and there's a lot of bad things that have happened in the past year, but it's also pushed us to be more innovative and to challenge us to, to do things and to learn things that we wouldn't have if it was just up to us and we weren't challenged by our circumstances. So just finding like the opportunity and, and how can I use this time? How can I use this moment to grow? And it comes back to choosing gratitude. So in the moment, Amen. but have, have, have a good one and <laughs> listeners too. check out her stuff. She's awesome. All right. Thanks. Bye.